and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful DLC episode of Normandy FM. It is DLC, but that you still have to listen to it, Ken. I'm not calling it extracurricular this time. There you go. <laughs> uh, this is fully necessary. Uh, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, are you excited to talk about Left Behind today? Yes, I am. I'm also terribly exhausted, so we'll see which of those feelings wins out by the end of the show. Can't imagine what game we've all been binging that would make us so tired right now. Who could say? But to keep our spirits high and our energy higher, we have the one, the only, Sam Greer joining us once again. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'm excited. I've got all the energy for this. You have no you're idea. Gonna, you're going to have to carry the show for a bit. I'll carry you both. Don't worry about it. I'll carry you like early carry Joel. That's exactly how this is going to go. Oh, there we go. Oh, no. We're going to get into some sad stuff here. But before we do that, for the folks at home who maybe did not listen to our Jade Empire season or who may not know, Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself and also how you got into Left Behind and Last of Us. So, um, obviously, I'm a games critic. Um, you might know me from Glasshouse Games. I've used to do freelance, been around everywhere. You name an outlet, I've probably written for it. Um, and Last of Us, like, I mean, Last of Us was just a game. So, you know, we're, we're going to talk about some queer content in this game. And fittingly, um, I got into Last of Us because my girlfriend at the time had a PS3, which meant I could play PS3 games, she could play 360 games because I had my Xbox. And The Last of Us was one that we were both looking forward to. And Left Behind particularly was a Valentine present from her to me. Mm. Um, and none of us knew... Like, I didn't go into it knowing any of the story or anything. Like, it was just more Last of Us, basically. Um, which, in a way, I was skeptical of. And I think... Mm. Like, I think a lot of people were about the idea, because I think a lot of people felt at the end of Last of Us that, like, that was a definitive ending and there didn't need to be any more of it. And I think I had a interesting thing with this where I went in sort of with that feeling a little bit and then came away like, wow, no, this was, this was, and this in a way feels really essential and complementary to, to the base game. Mm. And I think made me much more open to the idea of a sequel when they announced that um, in a way that mm. I think some people weren't. Right. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting thing for me going into this was, um, as opposed to parts of Last of Us, which I didn't know were going to happen or whatever, I kind of knew what the general gist of this DLC was going to be, at least like what the big part of it was going to be. And um, even in the game, like you know going in who the character Riley is if you finish the game, because Ellie makes explicit mention of that character near the end. And so when they initially introduce this DLC and it opens right away with the, the flashback to um, winter, or I guess, what do you say, like the end of fall, start yeah. of winter, um, when Joel gets injured. And um, it's immediately like, hey, remember that really sad part of The Last <laughs> of Us? We're going back. <laughs> Let's check this out. Um, but it does end up feeling like super, like, it's, I don't know if holistic is the right word, but it feels like it, it, it was a piece of the game that was almost cut out, you know, like that's how, and that's not me like ragging on this being like, this should have been in the main game. Um, <laughs> this isn't Javik, but uh, it's, it, it ends up feeling 
it, it, it slots in so neatly that right. I, I feel like it could have naturally been a piece of the main game and it wouldn't have tripped over anything. But it really also lets um, Naughty Dog dive into a lot of stuff that probably would have felt a little bit long in the tooth otherwise. Mm. Uh, Ken, yeah, what about you? I think my feeling was like I... I, I had come off part one feeling like very much like, oh, that didn't need more. That felt like it lasted about as long as it needed to. So I think with Left Behind, I wasn't... Like, when I, when I heard the premise of it was going to be, I was like, oh, that fits in very neatly in, like, the spaces of the original game. And, like, it doesn't really have an effect on, like, what we talked about last week was, like, so great about the ending at the time. Um, so, in a way, like, it feels, like, very essential, but also a little bit inessential to me. And that was sort of my takeaway was that, like... In terms of, like, the grander plot of The Last of Us, you know, they, these are things that they have uh, either spoken about or implied already, so I didn't necessarily feel that I needed to see it and, and play in it. But when it came to actually, like, the full package that they had made, I was like, no, this this felt worth my time, this felt worth waiting, because like, it had been, like, this came out, it was less than a year after the main game, but it was still, like, a long time away, like, once, like, nine or ten months away. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh... So yeah, like it, it was a thing that felt like it felt like it bolstered up a lot of things without necessarily stepping on the toes of anything that had come before, which I which I appreciated. Yeah, and like the other thing I'll say about this DLC that is really good compared to other DLC is that it gets right into it. Like it doesn't really uh, mess around with uh, you know fooling around. Like okay, let's have some. There are like a little bit of tutorial sections where it feels like it was intended for people who have maybe not played the game in a while mm-hmm. to get comfortable again, but right. it doesn't try to like give you your whole loadout again. It doesn't really try to like establish some sort of new big gameplay device that you're going to be using for the breadth of it. Like it's it's a pretty fairly concentrated uh, DLC that's right. really just saying like we're telling this story it's going to take about i don't know hour maybe two hours and that's what you're going to get out of it um Mm -hmm. and i like that because even at the beginning like we start out with um after the scene recapping what happened that led into winter and um ellie uh getting joel out of there on the horse we cut to a flashback of ellie in the military school and somebody sneaks into her room and plays a little prank on her by pretending to be a uh, an infected and biting at her and stuff um and it's can i just say that is the gay sh- i was re-watching the cutscene as well that's the gay <laughs> shit i've ever seen it's just like, oh i'm just i'm pretending to bite you oh no just friends <laughs> like we see you riley we see you mm. yeah. it's how Come on, that's I do I do that with the boys all the time. I walk up to people <laughs> on their neck. It's nothing. <laughs> no problem at all. If you can't tell, a running theme of this DLC is going to be us making jokes about like, oh, they seem like really good friends because that was <laughs> there was so much of that from from my understanding going around at the time, and even like me sitting here, um, ex- you know, the the straight of the show, <laughs> sitting here playing this DLC. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, no, they're that's that's not friendship. That's mm. <laughs> um, I yeah, think um, so. 
I think that was the, the th- there was I don't like I don't think that was prevalent necessarily, but there was definitely enough of it going around that I didn't right. like I said I didn't, I went into this not knowing because there was a lot of like oh it's a, it's a really good DLC about the power of friendship and like mm. yeah which I think which again has an interesting thing about like playing into what they eventually did with Last of Us two and how sort of explicit they got with some of that stuff but um right. yeah this was a. I was so because of the discussion around it, I was so unprepared for for what this DLC really is, um, and right. a way that I think works, which I think we'll get into as it goes. But I think there's there's something to be said about the fact that the DLC itself plays on the ambiguity of the specific nature of their relationship. Right. Um, I think it uses that really well. Um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so we we do find out that they are like former friends let's say i mean still kind of current friends um but it but it's you know capital c complicated because uh as as ellie informs us uh she hasn't seen riley in a while it's been about 45 days and they they apparently got into some sort of argument riley took off now riley's back and riley has a firefly pendant um marlene apparently totally down with the child soldier stuff yep (laughs) um interesting though i mean so how old i mean they're this is not too long before the start of the last of us like proper yeah i think they're 13 or or they may actually still be 14 it's just not looked around to their birthday in i think they're the same like year age because obviously things that happen later but um I think at the point where you meet Ellie in Last of Us Part 1, they say, like, she's been bitten for two weeks or something like that. Right, um, yeah, so that, that would sense. That would help, like, I don't know. <laughs> look look at you using poster. detective work and gathering the evidence. Very <laughs> there's, impressive. There's a wiki that has this figured out. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, but it's not too long, but it is, like, pre-Last of Us Part 1. And let's say it's a, a little bit more of a... Uh, cheery ellie mm-hmm. um as opposed to the ellie we'll be playing in the current segment who is like struggling to survive um so riley talks ellie into sneaking off in the middle of the night to go see something uh that riley wants to show her and they they sneak out and then we bounce back to present day and this is going to happen a few times but I, I will also say that I feel like we're going to spend most of our time talking about the Ellie and Riley stuff. Mm. Um, the winter stuff is neat gameplay wise, but mm. it's really just like the way that they get gameplay. <laughs> into yeah. This. yeah. It's a really um, evocative like space like that, that winter mall. Um, I mean, I, I obviously yeah. there's nice little visual parallels, like, and I think right. there's a very explicit visual thing that's a motif that carries in last of us too, where winter rep, represents this very like potent thing for ellie and they sort of use that here where like you've got this mall in the present this whole caked in winter you know and snow and everything and um and it's a really like i think it was quite like an evocative location i, I remember the bit when i played it was the, the helicopter early on when you've got to go up mm-hmm. inside it and everything and it's, it's one of the like i think the last of us bound does do really creepy bits perfectly well but i think this is one of the creepier i remember finding when i played this I, I guess because you're on your own, maybe, but um, yeah. I just remember finding this particularly tense of all of the sequences in the in the first game in the DLC. 
yeah once we get into situations where we're having to actually like deal with enemies and stuff um it gets even tenser surprisingly like normally that would just be like okay now we're going to do a gameplay section but like um near the end of the dlc there's a really big combat section like a really long combat section i, mm. I should say and uh that was like one of the first times in a long time that i'd felt like i was barely scraping by and stuff so they they, they yeah. do some interesting things with the setting um they also do a lot of parallels because as we search through um the the modern day and ellie is scrounging for something to treat joel's wounds with uh, we can find little things lying around and there's actually a like a photo booth role that you can pick up um I didn't remember who was on it. He said Laura was on here. Was this related to the story, Ken? Like, was it oh, related this, to that side story they're telling? Uh, it was one of them because we, uh, one of the, we, we go look in the, uh, the pharmacy first because that's obviously where we go for medical supplies. And uh, right. the, uh, the pharmacist had gotten infected a long time ago and we had to, he got locked in one of the, uh, like, uh, like a toy store mm-hmm. across the way. And um, he had like a, a, a photo booth roll on him. And it's just like, you know, these little parallels that they can put through. Yeah. They do nice little stuff like that where it harkens back. But yes, we are basically looking around for, you know, we go to the pharmacy and find the doors locked. And so we have to get a key, which means we have to find where the pharmacist, you know, died. (laughs) And then then, uh, unlock the door and then that's not there. Um, And eventually we're just like, you know, okay, we're not finding anything. And then Ellie sees the, the helicopter that's crashed through the roof. And the the helicopter, hey, you know, military, that's likely to have a first aid kit in it of some sort. So that becomes our next objective. And we blast back to the past <laughs> um, <laughs> where Ellie and Riley are working their way across the rooftops, um, talking with each other. And Riley is telling us about how she joined up with the Fireflies. Basically, she got into kind of a um i guess fight they they like messed around with one of the firefly dudes and riley ended up tailing them and she got ambushed and uh taken straight to marlene and marlene like immediately recruited her um Mm. apparently riley's wanted to join the fireflies for some time as we learn and um it's an interesting tension in this because i mean ellie is in military school at this point and the fireflies i feel like um we've gotten some idea of oh you know okay they're an organization that causes trouble they're obviously at odds with whatever government forces there are currently to the point that like ellie makes a joke in the section previous about how she has military drills where she's going to learn how to kill fireflies and all that um and i this is obviously like the growing tension of this dlc i mean one of the growing tensions is that uh, Riley is joining a group that could potentially be at odds with Ellie and would put her mm. at odds with Ellie in the future. Even though, like, they also note that Marlene wants Ellie to stay in the military school. Right. <laughs> um, it's it's weird. I, I, Ken, how did you feel about, like, a lot of this? Because it felt like we were just getting a lot of backstory backfilled. Because, I mean, a lot of this is also just... It feels like them trying to explain, like, oh, how does Ellie know Marlene? How long has Ellie known Marlene for? Why was Ellie in a military school if Marlene was working with the Fireflies and stuff like that? It, it kind of feels like in the early bits of this, there's just a lot of, like, backfilling exposition and stuff from the main game. Yeah, and even 
not just the main game, like, there's also the, uh, the comic book, which is American Dreams, which is before even this, and that is, like, about Ellie and Riley, um, also kind of leaning into the ambiguity of their, their relationship, and, uh, and, like, American Dreams kind of is pervasive throughout this, because, like, we're gonna talk about a character later that, uh, that, that you knew from that comic that is no longer with us. Yeah, it is a lot of backfilling backstory, because I think they do kind of operate under the assumption that you probably played the main game, but you probably didn't read that comic. Um, yeah. This, this was, yeah, and this, this I mean, not, not to say that, like, uh, tie-in media is, like, kind of gone away at this point, but it was, like, very much in the early 2010s era of, like, here we also have, you know, this, this novel, this animated movie, this comic book. What I, that was an interesting thing, actually, when, uh, before Left Behind came out, I went to go read American Dreams, and I thought that was going to be the story that Left Behind is, but it wasn't, and it left on a very different note, and I was like, oh, I guess they're just not going to show us that thing. Um, but then, you know, Left Behind ended up being what it was, and then so they kind of, like, completely filled in the gaps there. But, uh, yeah, it just, it feels like they have to weave all this in through conversation, because they have to kind of assume that somebody's coming into this with, like, the barest minimum of knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think, um... I think the weird thing for me as well that that like, I guess like the, the sort of thing that I guess this probably carries over in the Last of Us Part Two as well is that <clears throat> there's a very like big hesitance to engage with the Fireflies almost sincerely in a way like the idea of them being a revolutionary group and they're like they're their goals are kind of nebulous like they're, they maybe right. want to make a cure but like the specific politics of what they're opposing and exactly what the government i mean we know that the the military and boston i mean you see it in this there's that there's you know there's military schools there's um you know uh, martial law etc so you you have a clear idea why the military government sucks but it feels like the game doesn't spend a, the game lets a lot of that be implicit but with the fireflies a lot of what makes the Fireflies theoretically suck is um, implicit. It's like it's all them right. describing or telling you things. You know, you can talk about the fact, oh, they've recruited Riley Young, or like, you know, right. um, their methods are maybe questionable, etc. But I feel like the game just sort of wants to paint it as this, like, oh, see, the Fireflies are also bad, and but we don't get a sincere engagement with, like, like are they and like and in what way and like what are their actual goals and and even here it feels like there was a missed opportunity here because riley sort of is very evasive about why she's in the fireflies Um, and it feels like there would have been a good opportunity to be like well actually why do you want to be in the fireflies is it just i want to oppose the you know the military government that we have like what is it but i feel like there was definitely a missed opportunity to like to like dig into that a little deeper yeah yeah, and that does feel like there are there are segments that we'll get to in part two that are kind of like a correction on that. Like, cause there's, I mean, not to like get into things that we're not at yet, but like there's the scene in the uh, the museum where Ellie has a whole environmental storytelling shit that like somebody talking about the shit that they did under the fireflies, and yeah, it does feel like sort of the view of this world is so small. Like through part one and like, to an extent left behind where, like, you're so focused on the cure, you don't really deal with a lot of the larger ramifications of the Fireflies as, like, a faction. Yeah, they're just sort of left as the... Like, they're almost like a plot function, right, in a lot of ways. Like, they they are there to oppose Joel, and... Like, and, like, you know, like... 
I think the game makes the base game in this make a fair case that yeah they are sort of like morally questionable, but I right. think it's it's just a very like on the face of it you have to accept that and you do but you don't get to understand you don't get to really dig into like yeah but were there other than the vaccine that they want to make like we don't really get any sort of like what their motives or goals or anything are like you know like because clearly but they they don't just want the vaccine right that's just part of their goal they clearly want to remove the military government that's established Mm -hmm. itself and which on the face of it sounds good like if you write that down on paper i'm like yeah the military should not be in charge yeah totally do that so so it's a question of we never it feels like there's all there's a big there's a big gap where we don't get to go into like what do the fireflies want long term about the future of humanity and what the world looks like you know um, mm-hmm. Are they just trying to restore order, like get back, get back, get away from this martial law and get back to something, you know, democratic? Do they want some, you know, like, do they have some like utopian ideals that they want to play out? Like, we get none of that. Like, their sort of long term vision is unimportant, basically, to the fact that they are just there to get in the way of, you know, Joel and stuff. Mm hmm. Joel's got to shoot somebody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't worry, there will be people to shoot in this video game too, but not quite yet. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned the American Dreams thing because that was like part of the DLC that I felt was really like jarring for me going in, not having read any of that stuff because there's like a whole section where rally's just like hey let's check out that that tent where Mm -hmm. um winston you know someone some dude winston lived here and and, like there's a lot of references to him in a way that i was like oh this seems like it was an important character was this someone i should have known or something like that and that i later learned like okay yeah that's this played into some other literature i can't believe you keep picking series that have external <laughs> literature can <laughs> my bad stop, stop trying to make me read uh, so, um but after we get through a fun little section of that where we can kind of like um you know just look through his stuff and, and get some callbacks to that that i assume uh readers of american dreams you know, readers in general would enjoy um and then also uh <laughs> some nondescript alcohol um i was <laughs> trying to figure out what it was because it looked like champagne kind of but um riley says it's clearly not it's it's not beer um i, I i'm assuming it's either like champagne or like maybe moonshine like this dude might have made some some hooch or something but uh, that would have been funny because that would taste like paint thinner <laughs> and that's a, that's elicit a, the reaction. That's a weirdly recurring theme in this game is characters coming across hideouts of people that are making recreational drugs or alcohol. Like That just seems like this recurring <laughs> throughout mm. the games. Which, honestly, I mean, is just like, yeah, that's good world building. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, what, what, what else am I? Yeah, of course I'm going to get into making my own alcohol if everything goes to shit. Like, absolutely. <laughs> And it should be like terrible tasting moonshine or something because like you're not gonna be able to like barrel bourbon in, in this world. <laughs> I want to see that sure. character. I want to see the person who's created this whole secluded, you know, like Bill with their like network of defenses. What, what's the point? Why not use that level of security to then you know exactly. batch do a real nice batch of bourbon? There's there's someone out in uh, in 
California making like vineyards and stuff. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're bringing wine country back in the apocalypse finally. Um, after we we get past all that, we do find some debris, but it uh, collapses. Uh, Already before that, I was like, don't crawl through that. Please, for the love of God. Yeah, that's a very tiny space with a lot above it. Yeah, I hate that shit. Nah, like, why would you not? There's a perfectly good door right over there. (laughs) I just, I just, I just want to say, as a dumb kid who did loads of dumb stuff like that, I was like, highly relatable. It is a miracle that Mm. I am alive today because I did not pay any (laughs) attention to the safety and security or my well-being. Hmm. Yeah, you gotta you gotta give them the benefit of the doubt. They're kids, and it's not like a completely even out of character kid, thing. I'd be like, there's a door right there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not cool. Door, doors are lame. I want to crawl yeah. through this tiny, dangerous debris. Safety thing. is not punk rock. I've jumped so many fences in my life, but I'm not crawling through a tiny space uh, where debris could fall down on me. Like, no, that's that is where I drew the line. All life, past, present, and future. <laughs> um, anyways, they go through the door and end up finding something even cooler because it's a Halloween store. Hey, <laughs> like, it's a win-win. Doors are good, kids. <laughs> so, uh, the true they, lesson of this DLC. Yeah, doors are great. Always use doors. Uh, and, I don't know, like, climb stuff faster, I guess. Um this is this is like the start of a cool little section where you're just trying on masks and chasing each other around and having fun and i don't know i just it i felt like it did go on a little bit long just because i didn't realize there's a way that you could end it so i was kind of just walking around and being like okay when are we progressing but for a solid like five minutes i was just having a good time here like putting on different masks and uh interacting with different stuff and just you know this is this is a dlc like we're at this point till like near the end it's just about vibing it's just about hanging Mm. out having a good time with your pal with your best pal (laughs) (laughs) gals being pals um but yeah no there's there's a lot of fun stuff in here that i enjoyed a lot um and also kind of builds up what i think is like the the big part of this DLC that you mentioned here, Ken, like um, Riley's just constantly like, okay, let's do this. Now let's do this. Now let's do this. Let's go over here. Hey, don't go yet. Let's let's go hang out over here. Mm. Let's go do this stuff. And yeah, even from the outset before you know, like kind of the reason why she's doing this, you get the sense that, oh, this is, she she's insisting on doing all these different things and like creating constant memories and all that. And it's, it's the way that someone does something when they're like trying to avoid breaking bad news, you know, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> distracting themselves from what they are actually here to do. Right. And I think it like these sections do end up going on long enough for that sort of realization to come, like happen upon the player kind of naturally, because like this was at the point where I'm like, okay, we've been in here for a minute and Riley is still being very insistent that we just keep looking around and doing stuff. And it does make you start to wonder, like, is she trying to... Because, like, you assume that, like, she's trying to get Ellie to come around and be like, okay, we can stop fighting, we can be friends again. Um, you know, best of friends again. And uh, <laughs> But then you start to wonder, is it for Ellie or is it for her? 
yeah, like, is this is this all an attempt to assuage her own guilt? Um, right. <clears throat> or is this, like, I might never see you again, and I want to make... I mean, like, it can be both, right? Like, it can be a really right. complicated, like, I feel really bad that I'm going, but also I really care about you, and I want you to have something good before I'm gone, because I don't know who's going to care about you. Because, actually, there's one little thing at the beginning when she wakes up, she's like, oh, you still don't have a roommate and stuff. Right. And there is this sort of, like sense which is obviously a recurring thing with ellie about like isolation and abandonment and stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think i think riley recognizes that to a degree that like right. well she has nobody and you know that's part of what fuels her guilt but i think can also move her to be like well i want to oh i want to take you around the town i want to show you a time before right. i'm gone so you've got one last good memory before whatever happens happens um yeah, and I think um, the, the, you're right, though, that like they, they have you sit around with it just long enough mm-hmm. that you start to scream. I think even Ellie herself, like, implicitly, there's these little comments that are like, oh, what's going on here? Like, you right. Know. Um, and, yeah. But this, this whole section's a great vibe, and I, I think, like, after playing the main game, which... I, I, I think, obviously, people oversell just how grim The Last of Us is, you know, necessarily. But, I agree, um, I agree. But this this certainly was an antidote to the way that the, the first game ended in terms of, like, obviously that ends in a really sort of quite dark and ambiguous place with their relationship. Um, and, like, you're not sure how that's going to play out and stuff. And this and to jump back and have this, like, quite innocent time with her and, like, you know... And just a nice time like there's it's just really nice that you're just going around doing goofy jokes and stuff mm. and i think the most impressive thing to me at the time was like i don't think there's many games that i'd played that had done something like this where you know there was long stretches of like non-combat and it is just you and another character just goofing about and mm. and it's good goofing mm. about it's not video game like like I think of like crash shit like Borderlands or something where like the goofing around and the jokes are these like sort of lowbrow stuff. Right. <laughs> this is just this is just kind of entrenched as them as t- young teens and mm-hmm. the stuff that they say and find uncomfortable and like everything is just really dumb and funny and very endearing. I think it's just nice and earnest in a way that I don't think God I don't think many games are full stop. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, this is this is this is nice. Like I just yeah, there's a really nice time with this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, like the goofing around is like a a big part of this, and not to like play all my thematic cards like right out the gate here, but <laughs> um, like the big feeling I got from this was it was really reminiscent of that sort of trope of oh, you know, we're all going off to college or we're all going on to, like, the next stage mm-hmm. of our lives. There's very much, like, a we're passing into adulthood, and that means our lives are going to change, and that means that, like, you know, we have been friends for a long time, but how does that change once we have to go do things with our lives and we can't just, you know, like, quote-unquote, be kids anymore? Um, and that was, like, a lot of what I got out of this this DLC was it felt like they were just trying to to make the night last because they've only got one left really. And, um, it's, it's sad in a way it's like, you know, it's, it's like when you go out with your high school friends right before high school ends and, and like, we're going to have one last big party or whatever. This is like what that is for Ellie kind of. So, um, and of course that includes throwing bricks at windows as all oh, classic, uh, classic pastime. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, classic uh, 
youth problem causing shit. Um, Love to go in through bricks here. with my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ken, I see that you are not the brick master, according I, to the note. I, the, it's not the brick master. It's the figuring out which fucking window I didn't hit. Because I didn't realize there was a sunroof until like a uh, split second before, or split second after Riley beat me. So. This ruins your gamer cred, but it it enforces your I can't drive cred that you yeah. don't know that cars have sunroofs. Well, I mean... <laughs> Um, i did um okay so she she asks you in that situation uh what it would take to get back to how you were Mm -hmm. um and ellie is just like um i don't know just keep doing what you're doing it's working uh for me i won so i got to ask um I think it was like, why did you lash out at me before you left is what I chose. Mm. Um, and Riley is basically like, wasn't about you. I didn't, you know, like, uh, you just wanted to like choose everything for me. You had to be a part of every choice or whatever. Um, and that was why I lashed out. Um, but they also kind of brush it off in a way that I was like, oh yeah, you know, they've got to write this in a way so that if you lost or if you chose a different question or whatever, all roads would lead back to the path that we're taking in this DLC. Mm. So I was like, uh, that, that, that one part for, for a DLC that has a lot of surprising, like level of choice and, and fluidity in terms of, uh, the paths you can take through it, or even just the way that it lets you kind of use choice as a way to personalize it a bit more to you and like make certain parts hit a little bit harder. Um, that one section, I was like, oh, okay. I, I, yeah, I guess it's got to, like, converge at some point. It reminds me uh, a bit of the uh, the dialogue choices they had at the beginning of Uncharted 4, where yeah. it's like, these, these are ultimately meaningless. <laughs> like, these are just right. sort of there. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's one of those things, like, I feel like, and, like, none of that shit happens in part two. Like, I feel like, there was maybe, like, a common criticism around Naughty Dog games, like, oh, they're trying too hard to be movies. They don't have enough game-like choice and shit. And I was like, I, I, for one, thought that was just, like, I don't feel like, what, I don't know why we all insist that we have to be the main character of every fucking thing we play, but, like, it, it did feel like they were trying to, find, like, throw shit at a wall and see what stuck in terms of, like, allowing some more level of, like, customization and personalization of these things. And um, I, think, I think I'm kind of glad that Part 2 instead tried to go the way of, like, making more, like, open spaces that you could happen upon things that you or like make more like optional non-linear sections instead of trying to like find ways to like let the player insert themselves into like an established character's kind of uh, view of the world yeah yeah for sure um i think like this yeah i can think i can see them like going because like, obviously this would have been around the time of like mass effect was at the you know mm-hmm. its height and popularity and stuff so there's de- there was definitely probably like stuff they could compare to and look at and go oh what can we incorporate you know um right. and i am i'm also glad that they they actually realized nah it's not that interesting it's okay to just be like a- an actor in the story right. in terms of you're playing a role you know we don't need sure. you to be like giving stage direction all the time right anyways we're we're done with that section now because as we hit um uh we we head downstairs into a power room and we flip a power breaker which as as we find out um is what riley brought us here for ostensibly was 
to find out that um, the whole grid is still connected. They just flip the breakers on and off. And so Riley has us has us pull the fire alarm, so to speak. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, I guess we got to pull it, so we'll get in trouble. Um, but uh, flip the breaker to ostensibly turn everything on. And then right as we're about to open the big doors and head out into a potentially lit up mall or whatever may await us beyond them, we jump back to reality. Um, oh, there goes gravity. Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he won't can I give petition? up that easily. Can I, can um, I petition for this section? You've, you've got it here in the notes as pre-winter. Can I petition for it to be called Flinter? Because um, it's between Flinter. fall and winter. Here we Flinter, go. We're, we're changing yeah. the notes. <laughs> yeah, I love the, the, the Flinter season of Last of Us. So, mm. It's a great mm. section of the game, Flinter. <laughs> it's it's bothering me only because it's fall and winter. So there's like an A in fall that just went somewhere when you mash those words together. Right. I don't know where um, it is. Um, a, no, I'm fine with I'm saying there's a lurking A somewhere that's going to like come back for us. Flinter? <laughs> flinter. <laughs> um, no, Flinter is better. Uh, and I'll just fear a ghost day for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> One day so it will come for you. <laughs> it will. It'll ruin my life. Uh, so we still got to reach the military helicopter, and to get there, we got to open a gate. And to open the gate, we, of course, have to turn on power because it's it's the last of us. Um, so as we follow the cable back and, and deal with, uh, what Ken did not realize was a reference to the movie Alien. He just thinks it's a spooky cat because he hasn't seen a movie before the year 1999. <laughs> oh, I got, I got another year? You used to say it wasn't, I hadn't seen anything before 2000. No, didn't you watch like a 1999 movie recently? Were we talking about... No. Uh, we were talking about a 90s movie recently, I thought, so I was going to give you some credit. Mm. But now you've just talked yourself back up to 2000s. Mm-hmm. You just lost it just like that. <laughs> um... Yeah, there's a cat going bonkers back there, as cats are prone to do. Um, does it does it look it, like Jonesy? Is it got is it the same kind of cat? Did they go? Did they I, really commit I, to the bet? I think it. I think it was a. I think it was a black cat, but I might be misremembering. Um, it was very dark. It's hard to tell, right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like that's every time it's like a cat fake jump scare. I think of Alien. Um, yeah, fan- the classic Punisher. Yes. Should watch it, Ken. You'd like it. <laughs> it's very good. Um, we we eventually get to a generator, but it's out of gas. See, we're also teaching people how generators work, <laughs> and so we need to fill the tank up with some gas to get it cooking again. Uh, which means we got to deal with some infected that show up, some stalkers, as it were. Those those little nasties are back. So. Um, I already knew I was not going to be able to stealth kill these or did not have the patience rather to stealth kill these. So I just went loud immediately and started popping oh, yeah. heads. Mm. Um, this is a spooky I, I section. Yeah. Like, oh, this yeah. is all the dark and the torch and stuff. Like it reminds me of the basement bit in the, in the last of us part one where the basement at the hotel, it was very much mm. like that yeah. vibe of just yeah. like, Oh, like, if I can't see it right in front of me, I can't see it, but I can hear them screaming, and it's just, uh, mm. the worst. I love it. Love all that horrible stuff. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just went loud and backed myself into a corner. I was like, all right, come and get me. I'm going to shoot all y'all. 
Um, because I was not gonna mess around with sneaking around and getting caught and all that kind of stuff by the stalkers. Um, but we also learned how to siphon gas out of a gas tank, so now we all know how to do that in the post-apocalypse. Yep, learning so many survival skills this season. It's exciting. It's not pretty. It's it's really not. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, real, the real solution to surviving the apocalypse, if I've watched enough post-apocalyptic movies, is get a bike. You don't need to siphon gas. Yeah. It's really good energy. You can travel big distances. Just need a little bike oil. That's it. Don't bother with cars. Valid. Yeah, but you can go farther with a car and you can carry more stuff. What you need is one of those bike wagons. See the that's Yeah, the yeah. That's the yeah, that's it. I'm sorry, now I'm just imagining like a sort of Wes Anderson take on The Last of Us where it's Ellie and Joel going across America on one of these little like cute little bikes. <laughs> and like Ellie's in a little sidecar and it's just mm. an altogether much quirkier little story. Anyway, I'll I'll dress like in fan whole... art. <laughs> I was picturing a whole bike caravan where you just have all these wagons linked together and various bikes <laughs> at different points. Like some people are like chilling on the wagons and other people are pedaling on the various bikes. Oh, that's how I yeah, want to be. You make friends. Like, you know, you're not, you're not killing people. You're like, Hey, the more we have in the bikes, the farther and faster we can go. Like, let's do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, anyway. there's some dude in the back. Like, Oh, I just got off of a nine hour shift on the bikes. It's like Snowpiercer, but it's with Snowpiercer bikes. bikes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Naughty Dog, call us. The Last of Us Part 3, we got it in the bag. Yep. You need us. <laughs> um, once we get the generator running, uh, it also electrifies all the water that's in this area. So now we've got to go through a whole platforming thing. Platforming in The Last of Us. Um, where we basically, like, you know walk around the ducks at the top of the, the area and move some boxes to create platforms and stuff like that. It's nothing really groundbreaking. It's just, it's there. It's I mean, it is, uh, it is um, for like to its credit. Like they do a lot of, like they have a lot of opportunities in the CLC to come up with, like using the, tool, using the tools of the base game, like come up with a lot of mm-hmm. scenarios that are very different and like stand out. Even like they, even if they're like callbacks, like say like the basement scene where you, you were getting a generator working in Joel, they at least like stick out just because they have that extra little twist. Yeah, they do. But I just want to get back to the gals being pals. <laughs> all right, valid. That's yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. You're you're right. This stuff is it is neat. It's maybe not the best discussion topic, which is why I'm trying to breeze through it. But it I is, do I do think cool. um the the thing of note here though with that stuff though is like this is clearly I think if now that if you've played The Last of Us Part Two you can see sort of them sort of dipping their toes in the water of ideas mm-hmm. that will eventually become much more elaborate um, and fleshed out in The Last of Us Part Two. But you can see them sort of like going, oh, what if we tried this and what if we did this? You know, like, right. I think that all sort of starts in this DLC in a way. Um, you can. Right. The, the sort of bridges the gap. Yeah, getting they a little do. bit more experimental with like their uh, encounter and level design. Yeah. yeah, for sure. As I'll say, there's there's a later section where they start messing with encounters in a way that mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, this is. I hope they do more of this in Last of Us Part Two because this is pretty neat. Um, and then you'll get to tell me that they do or don't. <laughs> but, um. We, we keep working our way through it. Um, we get back to the gate, got to kill more clickers and all that. Um, 
get through the gate and up towards. So I didn't. Mm, I must have walked right by this this area with the mattresses or something because I thought I got all of the stuff about um, about the military folks that were here. There were like military personnel mm. scattered throughout this. That's like telling one of the side stories. Um, but yeah, I did not get this recorder. Um, yeah, I it would have been find. It, it would have been on the floor where like the. Uh where the helicopter had like landed on and uh, like you take like a hard left as soon as you get uh, up the stairs or up the escalators oh. rather. Yeah. Oh, so that would have okay. been where it was. Yeah. I'm just yeah, imagining like, like some drill, you know, like some lieutenant or something like some officer just been like, right. And don't forget your, your recorders. Everyone make mm-hmm. sure you get your recorders, make sure the tapes there and fill because if anything happens to you, you need to leave notes for the survivors. Okay. So just, you know, make sure everyone's mm-hmm. got their recording. How is if anyone going to know what happened to us if we don't talk about it into this recorder? Exactly. And if you die, die in a way that looks pretty for the camera. You know, you want to, like, <laughs> position yourself correctly. Um, Think about your glamour shot as you're, yeah, like, exactly. as you walk into the light. To be fair, like, I'm just thinking if I was if I was breathing my last and I was, like, on the way out, I would absolutely, because this is the kind of person, insecure person, I'm like, God, what if anyone finds me and I look terrible? I better set up and look okay. <laughs> no, and, you know, I, I don't want to. I, I don't like, want someone to think I like... died cowardly. So I'm going to record this elaborate story about how I had to fight for my life and everything. You know, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't crawl under that terrible debris and get impaled. No, no, no. I was fighting some bad guy, and then this happened. <laughs> you know, I was a hero. Oh man, there were like five bloaters here, and I fought them all <laughs> with just a brick. Oh, but the last one, he clipped me a little bit. But I was good, because I'm, I'm I'm great like that. But then God himself smote me for, <laughs> for being too awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I would definitely be getting in, like, uh, pay me, like, one of your French girls pose uh, to try Absolutely. and maintain that. Uh, I just try and, like position myself in a way that would make someone be like how did they get there or something like that <laughs> like find my body in the weirdest place and they'd be like what how no that should head how did this happen <laughs> headstand you right and you could like die where you're like pulling off a headstand you right? and you could make that happen <laughs> he died while dabbing oh my god <laughs> <laughs> do it for the content <laughs> do it for the recorder yeah. yeah well it's i'm gonna be honest so there's there's one more recorder after this that we find uh in in the present day times about the military folks and it was so long and arduous that i just didn't listen to all of it and i was just like i think i get the gist of what they're they're trying to tell me here because this dude was just going for ages like why did she pull a gun on me? She mm. didn't have to pull a gun on me. And then I had to hit her. I didn't want to hit her. Now it's, everyone's dying. I'm fine. I'm. You're fine. I'm, it just kept going and going. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Like, you got bitten. You you thought you weren't going to turn. Uh, clearly, your friend did. You had a fight. Like, I get it. Can we move on? And they just kept, like, doing the lines over and over again. I was like, I'm good with this. <laughs> so, yeah, for all the, like, sort of uh, audio log shit that Bioshock kind of, like, put into the world a lot of games didn't adapt the fact that like oh they should just keep playing while you're still doing shit so you don't have to like sit there and like wait yeah 
I get gameplay wise why they didn't do that too because like sound is such a thing. Like, can you imagine if a clicker right, for was sure. just hearing you listening to your podcast as you were going <laughs> by? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mm, it, it did bother me a lot it, in this game in general that you couldn't just listen to things and then maybe like they would click it off if you got into an area like that or something. But right. Um, as we get into the helicopter and find the med kit that we've been looking for. Ellie holds it tight to her chest, says she's not letting it go, and then we blast back to the past, um, and we we go through the doors with Ellie and Riley to find all the mall lit up, or at least from the inside. Um, Riley says, don't worry, the, the signs and stuff on the outside of the mall won't light up, so uh, the soldiers won't realize that anyone's inside or anything like that. Um, and they go on the horses, on the merry-go-round, it's, it's super neat. And mm-hmm. they have like a joke book and you can read a bunch of puns and stuff. And clearly like Riley's just pulling out all the stops here. Like Riley right. has had this planned in, in some ways. Like she's just like, Oh, check out this, check out this, check out this. Um, <laughs> I did not get the frustrated cannibal threw up his hands. That's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I got um, two peanuts walk into a bar. One was assaulted and mm. I I forgot what the other one was. Um, there's the, w- the there's the one about oh there was a guy who wanted to be a juggler but he didn't have the balls. There's that mm. one. Yeah. There's <laughs> a dumb show of that. Yeah, Some I think I ones. did like three of them and then was like, okay, that's enough. Let's go on to the next thing. But I wonder how many there were. That you could there try. are oh, so many. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I sat there and like went through the entire book. Oh lord. Um, but then we get to what I think is one of the, the parts that everyone seems to always talk about with this DLC, which is the photo booth. Yeah. Um, just because it is, it's a cool little thing where you go in and you can pick your themes and the way it's constructed is really fun because you're, you're like flipping through the buttons and they're like commenting on everything and, oh, look at the themes, look at the different, you know, poses we can do okay do this now do this and it just this is the part that really sells that these are like friends that they enjoy you know they they have a history together um it's just it's just folks having fun it's just good vibes <laughs> it's it's really yeah. sweet i don't know how else to describe it <laughs> like i think video um, games don't give you these moments very often <laughs> let's be let's say that up front I think I think as well though I think like what I liked about this and what I like about this DLC is like I think it's not they don't just tell Riley and Ellie's story and their relationship through the cutscenes right like this is all embedded mm-hmm. there and all the sequences and I think this one's a particular standout because this is the for, this is the first game point in this DLC where the game almost explicitly um make, invites you know the question to the player of like what is your relationship with riley right. because there's the there's the themes in the photo the booth where you can you, there's like there's like oh friends and stuff and then there's a romantic one like date mm-hmm. one and mm-hmm. i remember when i played it for the first time i was like oh and like had to think about it and i was like wait right. would they would they like you know mm-hmm. 
And um, and it's almost like I think it's it's good because the characters themselves don't comment on any of that at this point. Like they go with whatever and they don't really really talk about it. So mm-hmm. the game maintains that ambiguity and sort of puts you in line with like how they're feeling and stuff. And I think it's right. it's very true to like a lot of queer experiences, obviously, of like mm-hmm. you know with with someone and like is this a day? Is it a day? And I think like the the full booth is sort of like the culmination of like that. And I and I, again I like it because it's this gameplay thing and it's positive to the player and and like you say it's just very sweet. Like yeah, we don't mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of stuff like this in games. Right. And it does end on, like, the note where, like, they do kind of, like, sit and stare at each other for a second. And it feels like if you mm. maybe were, like, not, like, clued in at any point up until then, like, that's the point where it's almost explicit that, like, there is a question to these characters as to whether or not mm. they're gonna, like, you know, take another step. Uh, which I appreciate, especially now, because, like, I, um, I gotta admit, like, <laughs> even back in, like, 2014 when I first played it, like, it did not click with me until the moment. But, like, now that I'm, <laughs> like, replaying it now, I'm, like... Oh no! I think like they are pretty carefully like leaving that like they're keeping it amb- ambiguous, but they are like leaving very like unsubtle clues as to what this means. And you can post yeah, it to Facebook. Yeah, yeah it, does make, <laughs> it does make a joke about Facebook. But yep. but Ken, I was about to say before you said that, so I'm glad you said your thing first. But I was like it, that moment where they like kind of stop and kind of look at each other nervously and stuff. I'm sorry, that's that's called furtive glances, and if you don't know what that's like, clearly signposting, I'm like, you've had a tough dating life, haven't you? <laughs> like, well, I mean, in 2014, maybe. Like, big blinking neon signs, like an air traffic control dude, like, flagging it down for landing. <laughs> but they're, they're, um, just, oh, they're just such good friends. Haven't you gone with your friend into the full booth and then paused... And gazed longingly into each other's eyes and Love considered the extent of your friendship. Bros. <laughs> <laughs> Love to awkwardly pause in the photo booth with my bro. <laughs> just just girls uh, being passed. Love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my name is episode of Gals being pals. <laughs> yeah. Um. So after after the the furtive glances, they decide to keep exploring. Um, they make fun of the intercom lady a little bit. Another really fun bit, and they also like uh, ride the escalator, which is really funny. Just I, I they didn't comment on it when I was playing, but the way that both of them were like nervous getting on and off the escalator was really fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we get to the arcade, uh, which has a really really cool section. I, Ken, help me out with the timeline here. So this did not come out. This came out before uh, Tales from the Borderlands, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, within a year before Tales from the Borderlands. Yeah. Yeah. Because this definitely reminded me of that section from Tales of the Borderland, Tales from the Borderlands, where uh, you do like the fighting game inputs and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, as a QTE. But instead of actually playing the game, the game is is busted. So Ellie is closing her eyes, and Riley is voice acting a fighting game for her. And I was almost like I was pretty glad that they didn't just jump it into a fake fighting game and mm. like show you things. I liked yeah. that they kept it quiet, and you were supposed to be imagining along with her, because it really did draw me into the moment and get me into what they were doing, and 
it was so many little cool moments. Mm-hmm. It was a very, it's a very like intimate little scene between them. Like mm-hmm. again, like this ambiguous thing of like what is the nature of relationship, and they they do it in all these sort of other ways, and it's like, and this is another one of like, oh yeah, this is a thing I'll I'll do for you. It's like I'll describe it and stuff, and like, and I think it speaks to the, the level of trust that they have and everything with each other, and just how comfortable they are. Um. And no spoilers, but I think this also is a prelude to a moment in The Last of Us Part Two mm-hmm. as well, um, yep. which somehow has was similarly effective. Um, and I think it's like I think it's one of those things where if you've got mocap and you can just have an a, like you know an actor's performance and on the screen in front of you, it's like you can absolutely make a moment like this really work because there's mm-hmm. all you can see like Ellie's the emotions Ellie goes through like playing this mm-hmm. and stuff, and I think that's just like really good. Yeah. The um, input's got very complicated by the end, though. Yeah, it was kind of weird <laughs> as as a fighting game person right. i don't know if you how much you noticed this ken but like some of the inputs were definitely like street fighter inputs and then some of them were definitely like mortal Kombat inputs yep. and stuff like that so i think they were just trying to have fun and just doing a lot of like oh that was clearly like a hadoken that they just got right. you to do and that was like a raiden teleport that you just did and all that yeah um, and i think it i think it works just because like you imagine like these characters are probably well Granted, as we'll see in part two, like video games are a thing that still exists and people can play, but like these kids probably haven't played much of them, and they probably are, like only kind of know about them. Oh, mm. I'm Sorry? so glad you reminded me of this. No, this is important because I was going to ask this in the Halloween store section and forgot. Um, in the Halloween store, se- so so in this world, like pop culture still somewhat exists. Then, like there are pieces of it, at like, least for sure. Yes, so there's a point in the Halloween store where you can get a witch mask that Ellie puts on and pretends to be the wicked witch of the West from the wizard of Oz. And Riley responds back by pretending to be Dorothy and talking about Toto and all that. Mm. And I was sitting there and I was like, wait a minute, that's a movie. Like that's something that they would have to watch in some way, not only watch both of them would have had to see it. And I like, there's implications that they know each other, but maybe haven't grown up in the same place. So it wasn't like they were both watching it at movie night in the military school or anything like that. So I was just like, how did two people in the post apocalypse independently see the wizard of Oz and be able to like accurately imitate those characters? Like not even just be familiar with the idea of, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Lion, the Red Shoes, all that. But like... my theory is, um, every person over the age of fifty has a copy of The Wizard of Oz. So if <laughs> one movie mm. is going to survive the apocalypse, it might well just be The Wizard of Oz. That's 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 valid. Um, See, I would um... be I would be the Firefly faction, and I would make sure it was Shrek that survives the apocalypse. <laughs> You um you did remind me though um there's another bit actually to answer the question about video games there is a bit where you can play with the skull in the Halloween store, and Ellie asks a bunch of questions and one of the questions she asks is will I ever get to play a video game, um and I think this I can't remember the skull says something like ah the spirits are not clear or something, um mm. but the fact that she asks asks the question implies that yeah she's never she's never actually played a video game right like for real yeah. So, so it is one of those things where, like, that's probably why you get this, like, kind of hodgepodge of a bunch of different fighting games happening in, when Riley's trying to explain this stuff. Because, like, they maybe know of fighting games and, like, they maybe know how it kind of works, but they don't necessarily have a clear vision of how one would uh, compare to another. So they're just kind of like, you know, here's yeah, a fireball, a he, here's, a, here's a fatality, Ugh. yeah. 
<laughs> Who wants to play a fighting game with a block button? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Just hold back. Um, anyways, no, I was, I was so confused. I was like, how do we... The apocalypse has been going for like decades at this point. How has the Wizard of Oz been one of the things? I know it is like, no, like a piece of Americana in <laughs> some ways, but like, how was this the thing that young kids still right. know? And it's it's interesting, like, and this is kind of like a larger Last of Us thing. Like, the things that do survive the apocalypse, like not just in terms of pop culture, but just like actual culture, like in terms of like. Not to spoil something, and we'll have a much larger conversation about this when we get this, but, like, Ellie doesn't know what a pride flag is, but she knows what a fighting game is. And, yeah, like, there's... And, like, it's just interesting, like, if you ended up in the apocalypse in certain areas, like, certain things might be more well-known, and I think it is something that Part 2 especially is going to play into in ways that are... Again, we'll get to that when we get to that, because I I had been playing uh, the Jackson section for next week's episode uh, before, like, I was trying to get stuff out of the way before... Legendary Edition, and um, it it got it's just got me thinking about like things that um, like what what survives the apocalypse and what is that largely determined by who you end up with in the apocalypse. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like there's a especially like in a, a digital like culture as well. Like how many mm. of us own movies, like modern movies especially. So and and it, right. so in a certain oh. way, that's one of the things that feeds into like my assumption that actually a lot of the pop culture that will survive will actually be older stuff because that's the right. stuff that older people and we would have bought longer time ago. Now that most stuff is digital only, a lot of more recent stuff, say the last ten years or so. That's the stuff that will go. Like that's the stuff that if you know when right. all of it collapses, that's just gone. And it's the older stuff that will actually be left around. And for sure, I, oh, I no. think, I think it's interesting though with video games, um, because like arcades do feel like the one because video because video games have gone digital. So in a way, it feels like video games themselves mm. might be susceptible to this. But arcades, weirdly, might be the one place that you would maybe come across and that would be your exposure to video games yeah. um so i do find that like interesting the idea of like the sort of you know they have this relationship to pop culture that skews older but that's probably mm-hmm. just out of like necessity of what actually ended up surviving more yeah. as much as it might well be informed by you know the writers yeah and even like again like we keep alluding to part two shit or i do at least um like ellie has a ps3 she has Uncharted 2. She doesn't, like, there's, like, you know, the later stuff that she just doesn't have. the power like, of the cell processor. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and there's a woman with a Vita. And it's, like, you know, again, it just excuse things that are older and, like, uh, just, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing that I think that they are aware of and play with. It's it's weird because I was recently, like, moving my shelves and stuff here. And so I, I ended up taking stock of the, the physical goods that I have. And so if the post-apocalypse started tomorrow, the only physical media I have, I have a lot of anime, so anime is going to survive the apocalypse. <laughs> Good news, everyone. Uh, Cowboy Lord's Bebop work. and Samurai Champloo <laughs> are making it through. Uh, but the only like physical movies I have, I have a bunch of like award screeners because I'm uh, on lists to get those and stuff like that. But I would probably use those as weapons in the post-apocalypse <laughs> because most of them are pretty bad. Um, the only DVDs I have that I have purchased and kept through all the years are like a three-film collection of the Clint Eastwood westerns, like Man with No Name, that stuff, and a copy of The Dark Knight. 
So I hate to say it, but the Joker that... is gonna survive the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that that's that is quite a mix. Clint Eastwood and the Dark Knight, like, oh, that's it. But but like there you go though. There's like three movies that skew older, right? Like those are mm. like because you tend you to like buy classic guy in college. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a bunch of anime. No, the anime. I'll use I'll use he's. Heath Ledger as a weapon before I use the anime as a weapon. Come on now. Yeah, Anime's yeah, gotta survive right. the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> so, um, after after the fighting game stuff ends, uh, Riley hears some music nearby and leaves to go for it. And Ellie's like, "Hey, look!" Like at this point, like daylight is starting to break mm. through the windows and stuff, um, and. Ellie's like, look, I got to go back. I don't have any more strikes. Can we just, like, hang out tomorrow? We'll come back here tomorrow. It's all good. That's when Riley drops the hammer and is like, hey, um, I can't do tomorrow. Uh, the Fireflies are having her leave Boston. She's supposed to go to a different city. She's They're picking her up tomorrow and taking her. Um, and so Ellie's like, so then what the hell are we doing here? And, you know, Riley, like, pulls back with, oh, I just wanted to see you. I want to hang out with you. And Ellie's like, no, why did you bring me here? And, like, really, like, <laughs> it starts to get a little barred because, like, they're not saying what they actually want to say. They're, you know, like, Riley's just trying to keep the moment alive mm -hmm. for as long mm -hmm. as humanly possible. And Ellie's like, you've got to give me more than that or I'm not going to just sit here in your pretend land forever. Um, and Riley just storms off to go check out the music. And this is the part where, again, we're going through the thing where I already, like, we already know what's going to happen. So at this point, I'm just like, okay, when's, a, when's an infected going to jump out and bite both of them? You know, because <laughs> we know, we yeah. know from playing the video game, the last of us part one, that this is something will end this way. Um, that this does not have a happy ending to it. And so every time they like storm off and you're like following after Riley and you're like, come on, come out. Um, I'm like, okay, are we going to round a corner and there's an infected or something? But I think, um, I think it's good though. Like it, it plays very much into like, mm. um, and I think that's what, one of the things that makes left behind feel essential. Like, I think you said it's not essential to the overarching plot, but I feel like in a way it's sort of essential character. Cause I think you start mm -hmm. to see the sort of root of her, abandonment issues mm -hmm. and like you know it's the very suggestion that this is the last time to see riley she immediately goes to well well fuck this then i'm not right. doing it you know like just immediately wanting to shut down not engage with this you know because yeah just the, like that even you know right even before she meets joe that is just an inherent part of her and so like you know everything that happens in the first and second game only exacerbates this um, and obviously everything that's about to happen in this DLC only exacerbates it, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so we, we keep following Riley, and um, they just keep getting mad at each other. They're not saying what they need to say to each other. Um, and Ellie's, you know, like, you want, you want to guilt trip me. You want to feel guilty. You want an out. I'm giving it to you. Um and Riley's like, I came across town for you. I almost got shot for you. And she pulls out the water guns that Ellie had mentioned earlier in the DLC. Um, 
and was like, I almost got shot for these and I wanted you to have them. And so then you get into a little um, water gun game that's that's fun and mm. maybe goes on a little bit long. But yeah, <laughs> um, one run too many, I think. So I only did, I think I played two. No, I three rounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's best of three. So um, I won because I'm I'm a pro. Did you, did you win? Ken? Yes, I did. I did. Okay, good. I couldn't let her beat me both times. <laughs> I was gonna say, did I did I become the ultimate gamer of this episode? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a neat little section. It's just more fun having fun with the idea of like, oh, the mechanics of. The Last of Us could be used in a fun way, you know, like here we're gonna play squirt guns and sneak mm. around and stuff, and it's not just murder. Yeah. <laughs> um and then uh they're they're like, Okay, we gotta go home and all that. Um and, and like it, it literally seems like they're about to leave and then they stop again because Riley's like, Hey, you still got that Walkman and they plug it into the stereo system and they start dancing on the glass cases to the tape that's in there. Um uh, I got you, babe, by Etta James. Thank you for putting that in the notes. Uh, okay, it's a jam. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, and then Ellie gets sad as they're dancing, and she's like, she says, "Don't go." And Riley takes off the firefly tag, rips it off, and then they kiss. Ellie kisses Riley. Oh my God, it actually happens. And then she apologizes, and Riley's like, "For what?" And then it gets interrupted <laughs> by infected and a gun. Because uh, this is the last of us, so uh, I guess we should unpack the big scene. This is like one of the big scenes. Um, the big friendship kiss. Yep. Yeah. The the <laughs> you know it's what I'm looking to do post vaccine. You know I'm gonna get out there, <laughs> kiss all my friends. Um, Ken, how mm. are we kind of feeling about this this scene? Especially like you know how did it feel then and how does it feel now? So I think, uh, and I got put in the notes here, there is a criticism of them putting Ellie's queerness in DLC instead of the main game. But I also don't, one, I don't really know where in the main game that would have fit to even bring up. Because, like, there's not, we don't ever touch anything about Ellie having any, any romantic inclinations one way or another. Um, and I think, you know, so, like, that there's some sort of validity there. That like, oh, Naughty Dog wanted to... Um, Pied this way in the DLC, and I think if part two hadn't been so unapologetically queer, I think that would have been more of, like, a thing that I would have issue with, but I think, like, part two was more than just to make good. It was, like, so central to Ellie's character in that game. You know, like, they didn't shy away from it at all, and I think that even the framing of it within the universe was very, uh, like, like there was no ambiguity to how Naughty Dog felt about Ellie's queerness and its sort of, uh, impact in AAA games, uh, by and large. It uh, does add, like, another layer of uh, stuff, like, what's going to happen to Riley that is, um, another thing that, like, was, was, is kind of, like, a criticism of Blast of Part 1 is, like, you know, it gets into, like, barrier gaze territory, which, again, I think Part 2, having an awareness of that and doing, making the decisions that it made did sort of uh, alleviate that criticism for me, personally. Um, I, I understand that if that's not the case for everybody. But, uh, yeah, like, it... I don't know, it's just, like, it was a, it, it was a fucking moment, because, like, this was seven years ago, like, a, and even now, like, a queer protagonist is an anomaly in AAA games, and I just appreciated, like, I guess now, like, w with the whole picture of The Last of Us and Part 2, 
is uh, I just appreciate it a lot. I like I appreciate how unapologetically queer Ellie is as a character, as a like a very well known protagonist in AAA games. So I'm all about it. Sam, how are you kind of feeling about this in in the year 2021? Um, yeah, like I think I think like weirdly a lot of my feelings haven't changed much over over time. I think if, the only thing that changed, I think I had similar. Like before Last of Us Part Two came out, I think I had similar concerns to you, Ken, right. about like the idea that this would just be like Ellie's like sexuality would just be a side thing that would be touched right. on in a sequel, and that would be that. But instead, it was became the centerpiece in a lot of ways. Right. Um, For sure. And and I think in in that way, retroactively, I think um, it makes this even you know I wouldn't say elevated necessarily, but it, it means that a lot of my maybe my little notes of skepticism about is this right. what we're gonna get are kind of nullified because it wasn't all we got and um i think the thing about it at the time like i say i didn't i didn't know this going in so it was like oh shit like you know and mm-hmm. you know i don't want to give like triple a games like oodles of credit because yeah there's a lot of like smaller creators have been doing this for stuff sure. for a while but i think there's still definitely an impact to having a big game do this where a lot of people see it um and mm-hmm. i think this moment as well i think what i like about it similarly to what i like about the way queerness is done in last of us part two is that it's not it's not just like oh we'll just make ellie gay it's actually this whole moment that's rooted in her character mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. she, what she is because i think the thing that when I rewatch this now that gets me actually is that Riley was going to stay like mm-hmm. in that moment. She's like, yeah, fuck the fireflies. I will stay. And right. it's like Ellie almost had that. Like Ellie actually had someone who was like, no, you know what? I care about you enough that I will stay. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the, that's the like, you know, the thing that gets me now when I see it is that little moment just before the kiss of like Ellie finally got the, and that's why Ellie kisses her, right? Because it's like the valid, you know, this validation security of a relationship that she's ne- presumably from everything you can read, you know, into her as a character, she's never had. I think mm. getting that moment. And so I feel like the, what I like about it is the queerness is rooted in a lot of feelings of abandonment and stuff that I think a lot of mm. queer people go through. And mm. yeah, it's just it's just really rich as a moment and it's really sweet and earnest and it's not... It just it feels just really nicely done and it's not this, well, we got we got to have a queer character or something. It doesn't feel cheap or like, right. you know, token. Yeah. It feels very, like, nicely considered and... I don't know if the I know Druckmann has said that he always imagined that Ellie was um, gay. I don't know if that's true, and mm-hmm. you could you could certainly play the first game and go either way on that. Um, but I think um, it's certainly I think the the thing at the end of like the way she talks about Riley and the context of this and the fact that it wasn't just a friend even it was this romantic thing um i think adds a whole other layer to how guarded she is and her relationship with joel as well um about what opening up to someone and trusting them like means to her um Mm -hmm. you know like i think yeah this is just it's, it's a really powerful moment just for that character for the story as a whole and i think that's mm-hmm. this is the thing that makes this sort of like I say, you like you said, it doesn't have a an effect on the overarching plot, but it does feel essential for her character in a lot of ways. Like you don't you don't need to know this about her necessarily, but I, I think it enriches so much of her story when you you see the story play out. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm going to put a pin in something that I want to ask, ask about after this, but like that was um, like my cynical take, my, my cynical mind, like watching the scene was going, this would have been so easily dismissed if it was, if it, if it was just this kiss, if they hadn't done so much building up to it, if they hadn't built like such a big mm-hmm. blinking runway to say like, this is going to lead to a kiss. Mm. <laughs> like, um, but also like, I felt that way a lot about romance in video games in general, like even just setting aside like any amount of how easy it would be for, for some shitty folks out there to just dismiss this as like putting it in as, um, oh, they just added this or whatever to have it. But like, it's, I think a lot of romance in games, it's really hard to build that sort of rising tension and uh, and have it be interactive and have it feel like you're taking part in it and driving it in some way and have it feel genuine. Like this is just like, they've created a really good relationship between two characters that you are moving through and kind of playing the motions through. And we've talked about how um, Last of Us can feel like a stage play at times because you're not really, you're not a Commander Shepard where you're um, making decisions and stuff like that. It's not like a player insert, like you are moving characters through preset actions and they're very intentional about that in many ways that you as the player might be doing something that you disagree with personally, but um, but like, you know, Joel is totally down with murdering an entire hospital. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, And so in this situation, like, they do such a good job of just making this relationship feel so natural, so compelling, so good that like the kiss felt inevitable and um, it would have been so easy to dismiss it if it felt like it was just, you know, like a sudden peck out of nowhere, but like, it really feels like the culmination of things and it, it, it sticks out so much. Like it's, it's extremely good. It's a good scene. Um, and like the mocap is incredible, like throwing the, the firefly tag away. Like there's just a lot mm-hmm. of really good choices made in, in this DLC to tell this story. Um, but damn, yeah, it's, it's good. Um, but the, the pin I wanted to pull out here, uh, while, while y'all were talking, I was, I was curious and something you had mentioned earlier, Ken, um, how we talked about how like pop culture has survived the post-apocalypse and stuff like this. I I don't remember if we talked about this during Bill's town or not, but like what is there, is, is there any indication given in maybe in last of us part two, like whether, you know, just like general concepts of queerness have survived the post-apocalypse because I was genuinely thinking that while I was playing this, I was like, does Ellie know what, you know, like it means that she likes girls and stuff like that? I was sitting there. I was like, I, I, I'm a straight dude. I've never had to encounter these, these questions and stuff like that. So, um, I was curious, like whether last of us part two grapples with that after like your mention yeah. of the pride flag and stuff. Yeah, like that. It, it does. And it's in a very, uh, like pronounced way. It's like part of, uh, I, I think, and again, like not to like, get into the, the nitty gritty of that game before we mm-hmm. get to it. But like, I feel like last of us has a very Southern small town, uh, perception mm. of queerness in a way that like Ellie, like may- maybe God, it, it's a lot to unpack. Cause I think it is, it plays into Ellie's art, like in a very significant way, not just in terms of gotcha. her relationships with 
women, but in, in terms of the relationship with people around her as well. And, like, right. her understanding that, like, hey, like, what I, f- like, f- like, specific bigotry is maybe not perpetuated in certain ways, like, in terms of, like, maybe, like, religious-driven what- bigotry, but just, like, un- she clearly has an understanding that, like, liking women is relatively different to, like, what a lot of other people around her do. And that, like, she maybe has hesitance to discuss it with certain people just because, like, she understands that there is something about it that is perceived as, like, an, that is an othering on her and people like her. Yeah. And, um, it, like, and it does get into things that, uh, like, we do realize because, like, there, there is a, like, queer bookstore in Seattle in part two. And Ellie goes there and, like, she does not know, like, what a pride flag is. She doesn't understand like, the cultural significance of what she's, like, the the store that she is in. And that is, you know, I mean, that's not just a specifically queer thing. That is, like, they don't understand, like, what Halloween is earlier. Like, they don't understand, um, like... Yeah, why people Joel, would buy those, like, props right. and stuff. And, like, what, like, Joel has to explain to her, not only, like, the mechanics of what a college is, but, like, the cultural touchstone of going to college. And, mm-hmm. um, so it is, it is interesting, like, she goes, like, where they end up... Well, I guess we know, we know at this point that they, they do live in Jackson, and, like... That that place is very much an American small town and has like mm-hmm. the sort of a uh, same social dynamics there that um, like the social dynamics I guess are things that survived and are established there and really play into Ellie's role in that game and like kind of like uh, her relationship to the people around her and like knowing the people that she can trust with that part of herself is uh, something that is very pervasive throughout that game. Mm. I think um I think the thing that that gets me about it as well like um because yeah the the second game definitely does sort of dig a bit into like okay well how much of this is carried over and what and I think you were right when you were talking about it again that there's <clears throat> it's there's maybe not this explicit idea of queerness and like the mm-hmm. in heteronormativity that's carried over because those norms maybe haven't had to be reestablished or asserted in a certain way but they still are pervasive enough that she picks up on those cues and knows mm-hmm. that yeah this is a part of myself that i know this is different i don't know right. the entire intricacies of how and why but yeah i know that this is not what most people are and what that can entail um but i think one thing though that's interesting like is um because i think like I th- that probably bookstore and like and i think maybe this relates to like left behind in terms of these two characters figuring stuff out and like struggling with that is the idea of like I think for a certain generation of and particularly the nineties of stuff of, of queer people growing up was, you know, thanks to the AIDS crisis and stuff was there was mm-hmm. an entire generation of, you know, gay people that wiped off the face of the earth basically, and there is right. this generational gap where if you were growing up you didn't know any older gay people because a lot of them fucking died and. In a way, it's if in terms of like capturing something true about queerness, I think weirdly it's sort of interesting that this sort of grapples a little bit about that feeling of like, because like that idea, like I mean, when I grew up, when I was growing up, I didn't know what a pride flag was. I didn't right. know like you know about queerness or queer theory or anything like mm-hmm. you know all that stuff. You know, I grew up in a, you know, I grew up in Glasgow for a little bit, and then I grew up in a small you know village and like you don't have any of that stuff you don't no. have any exposure to it at all and and particularly in the 90s there's no pop culture to even dig into so For sure. i feel like i really relate to that idea of like this is something that you find out in these weird indirect ways and does lead to this mm-hmm. friction where it's very natural friction where 
you don't understand your relationship with someone like is this friendship or, or is this something more and like is it allowed to be something more etc and I think the, the Last of Us like one thing that it, it does grasp really well with all that is that is that ambiguity intention that I think a lot of queer people particularly for a certain sure. generation can really relate to mm-hmm. yeah and I think it's honestly like why maybe like I think you have to like have a certain upbringing or like live in a certain sort of uh, space and mm. to I guess I, I I understand why some people don't necessarily jive with part two depiction of these things because like it is it's not it's not pleasant it is something that is uh, like especially like if you've gotten away from that point in your life and like you you live in more like an established queer, queer space and like you are constantly like within that and you don't have that sort of sense of alienation or like still like trying to figure out like you know that that ambiguity is kind of gone i can understand why it's not necessarily the most pleasant thing to re-engage with but as like as a person that has lived in a small town his entire life and did have like like does still have to navigate a lot of those social dynamics of like who is safe to express this around and who is uh like you know i I, that is something that i I really uh like relate to with ellie specifically is that she's constantly like still in that space and like you know maybe by the time that she's 19 like in you know the present day of that game she's gotten like very uh you know like she she takes no shit about it anymore but uh, it was something that she does have to kind of grapple with throughout like the flashbacks we're seeing that like in like reading her journal like she's talking like how i gotta how she can talk to joel about this and how is she trying to like you know read dina's cues and stuff and uh yeah so like i just i get why that's maybe not everyone's cup of tea but it's like for me personally like that just really resonates and it's why like I really enjoy part two's depiction of queerness. Mm. I think that's that's the thing with Left Behind is like it. Mm-hmm. This is the root of that in a way. Um, obviously, sure. it's like it's a it's a drop in the ocean of what they explore there. But I think right. it like it is. I think because of the ambiguity around it, like they're able to because you you like because even even Bill like the the it's not until the end that you sort of right. you get these implications of their nature of his relationship. Um, um, so like, the with this DLC, like it, the weird abstraction of like this apocalypse where those social norms don't exist and those cultural touchstones don't exist. It's like, it's a weird sort of one to one with like the idea of like a grown up in a rural area mm-hmm. where you don't have any mm-hmm. of that stuff. And it sort of it, it weirdly captures a lot. And in the left behind, you have this thing of like, yeah, the not knowing of of you know basic because basically this DLC is a date that they go right. on. But neither of them knows it's a date when they, right. when they do this, and like, and that's that's an extremely relatable experience. And I think something that it just impressed me, I think, a lot um, at the time, and even now revisiting it in terms of like AAA stuff, because I think right. like AAA storytelling, these sort of delicate subtexts and implications, mm-hmm. um, and particularly when they're written in character, are really hard to. I think they're hard to do just on a, on a very like technical level in terms of design and where do you make space for that right. with the player and stuff. There's a lot of plates have to be juggling, so I don't want to. I don't want to suggest that what they've they, you know like oh why don't all games just just get on board and do right. this nice soul character writing? But I I do, I do appreciate the Left Behind managed to build a whole dlc around that like that that mm-hmm. is the core of this mm-hmm. this you know two hour story you know after the last of us one was something that maybe you could see is a little more typical of the post-apocalyptic genre mm-hmm. 
this feels very rooted in a very particular experience in a way right. that you know i was like i'm i'm still really impressed with like i look at it now and i'm like there's all these little nuances to it i'm like you know what this is really good just like really nice yeah. and reliable engaging um in a way that you, you yeah you just don't really get in AAA at all right for sure and i think it's like it would be easy to kind of like dismiss a lot of like okay part two it involves like prejudice and like it'd be very easy to like narrow that down to like trauma porn and i think it's just like like you said like there are all these nuances and all these things that are happening in this universe like have to collectively lead to that like mindset still existing in this world and uh mm-hmm. sort of like, the reactions to it um still being pervasive and i think yeah it's, it's again like it is very easy to dismiss that but it feels very earned and it, you know you may if you have to sit with the subtext for a minute to get there that I, that's one thing but um yeah, I, just, I, I think this is, like, an inevitability in this kind of setting. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, as we said, there's infected, so there's no time to think about that further. <laughs> there's no time for, for Ellie and Riley to think about the queer subtext of their actions. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because the music has roused... Um, their their kiss has roused the infected. They're they're here to interrupt the good times. There's like no no um, no gays, thank you. Yep. Um, the tr- the truest homophobia is an infected that comes in, <laughs> comes in and interrupts this dance. An infected can I, can I just say is like, this, get the um, politics out of this game. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say though, like this scene, um, the the actual editing and sound editing and everything of this scene and the way the music builds is really good because it's like building to their kiss, but then is also uh-huh. building to this moment and the way mm-hmm. it cuts and everything it's just a really well put together little cut scene yeah. and i just yeah really really like it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah for sure we will come back to ellie and riley in a moment because we do have to jump back to present time where we have our meds uh for joel uh and we are heading back and we're gonna get to my favorite combat section and maybe mm. all of the last of us part one plus left behind which is they finally let infected and humans like mm. like um like you know angry aggressive humans be in the same combat spaces and so i can throw a brick and make a bunch of clickers run at humans mm. and man is it fun yep. i enjoy that a great deal <laughs> um <laughs> It feels like the most natural, like, the second I did it, I was like, why didn't they do this in the main game? <laughs> yeah. Why was this not a thing? Um, I hope that's a thing in Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, it's definitely something that they lean into more, because, like, that is, like, they have a more, like, open-ended level design and, like, these wider spaces, and so I think there's more, like, uh, opportunities for them to have, like, say, like, a squad of humans and then, like, a group of clickers on the other side, like, in two close areas that are maybe not, like, directly... Uh, and coming into contact with each other, but like as the player, you can throw a brick, throw a bottle, make make some noise any way that you can, and kind of force them to converge on each other and just wipe out whoever's left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the this this feels again like I mentioned earlier. This feels like the them sort of testing the waters, brewing this little foundation for mm-hmm. like what they'll do. I mean, I think what they do in Last of Us Part Two is so much more elaborate and like right. in depth than what they do here. But you you definitely see this is that. But the thing that surprised me actually about it when I played this DLC is I didn't realize this was the case until somebody pointed out to me. It felt so natural to the setting and the game that I didn't realize that we hadn't done this in the base game right. until it was pointed out. I was mm-hmm. like, 
Oh yeah, you never do. I just had assumed that at some point this had actually taken place. So um, mm. I think at the very least that speaks to how like I like that they just do it and there's not a like big cut scene where they announce it and it's like ah look right. they're in the same space now. Yeah. The game has changed. You know they don't do anything. They're just like no, nah, you're in it now. Deal with yeah. it. Yeah, it's just a cool like and and yeah they they lay it out so well. Like I remember specifically after we deal with a few enemy dudes and get our bow and arrow and all that um we find like the last bit of the the military uh storyline that was the dude that just kept talking and talking i just killed the tape recorder um it it is ultimately like a sad story how they all just like increasingly get wary of each other and, mm-hmm. and isolate themselves and and die and stuff and maybe like builds on some of the themes of ellie always creating you know like wanting to find people and then being isolated from them and that but mm-hmm. um and like broader themes of the last of us of like choosing to be with a group, even if that means opening yourself up um, versus like isolating mm. yourself, but becoming, you know, like slowly, you know, decaying from that isolation. Mm. Um, but also I was like this, this voice recorder is too long and I want to keep going. So <laughs> sorry, um, sorry, but... sad dude. <laughs> I don't care yeah. anymore. <laughs> That's what's the the meme is like. That's a long story, bro. Not gonna read it. Congratulations, though. Or I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Then we get into that area where I, I was just throwing bricks to like sick clickers on on bad dudes, and there was a really fun part where one, uh, I, what do we want to call them? Like looters, I guess. Like like ransackers, pillagers. Like they're David's dudes. Yeah, right? they're David's men. Yeah. Yeah, so David's dudes are are rolling through, <laughs> and uh, one of them took like this giant flanking route around because they usually kind of like keep their lines, and you know, like there will be a pack of dudes and a pack of clickers, and they'll just kind of smash into each other. But one of one of David's dudes, uh, like just ran all the way around to like flank the other guys, and he was like, "Haha, I'm a genius! I'm gonna get this clicker by flanking and stuff." and he was just sitting right in the perfect place for me to arrow him mm. in the head. And I was like, you moron. <laughs> but I was doing stuff like throwing a brick and then throwing a Molotov on top of it and stuff like that. It was just, it was good times. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Enjoy it very much. Yeah. One of the, uh, um, one of the encounters I had that was like really like one of the moments was like it all, you know, really clicks together for me was uh, when in that first section where like you're uh, like, you're kind of like up above both groups and, uh, I guess one of them, like one of David's men saw me and so like he started to climb up and so I just, I threw a bottle at him because the clicker was also coming up, like climbing up trying to get to the noise and so he was stunned and then I just took off and before he was able to jump down, the clicker got him and I was like, yes, that's, that's what we want. <laughs> um, and then we like, this This kind of builds all the way up to we get back to where Joel is, uh, um, this storefront that we have locked down and uh the dudes, David's dudes are trying to break in. Um, and so we've got to do a little bit of a combat scenario. I tried to stealth it, but it seems like once you kill someone, no matter who it is, they're just immediately like, Oh, the little girls around here go looking for, her. Mm-hmm. like they stop trying to, to do the break in and all that. Um, but, uh, I had a, yeah. well, I had a moment where they, they just like, they went back in to try and do the break in after I reinitiated. Stealth. Yeah. I think they thought, like maybe like the, the sort of like headcanon AI of the video game thing is that like maybe they thought because they didn't hear me around they thought that somebody got me or something. Yeah, it was weird. Like you go through this section where it's like 
some David's dudes, um, some infected. Well, it's like David's dudes, more David's dudes, and then some infected, and you just kind of deal with the waves of enemies. Mm. Um, so you do get kind of a reset at some points if you did break stealth and all that, but I don't know. Uh, and you can pick up a hunting rifle here, so you get some actual like firepower besides just the pistol and, and bone arrow that you've had for most of this DLC, but... Um, Ellie does have a little bit of a Laura Croft moment where she's like, if anybody else wants to <laughs> end up like their friend here, just step on out now. I'm kind of done with surprises at this point. <laughs> so, um, but that's the end of the modern day. Well, it's the end of the playable modern day stuff for us. Uh, mm-hmm. We do jump back in time once more to Ellie and Riley as they're running away from the hordes of infected in a very like chasing, you note that this is uncharted. I've not played uncharted, so I I can't speak to that, but it definitely is like that, that era of we're going to run down hallways and dodge things that are coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, And eventually like we're going through hallways and, and knifing an infected at one point. And then we get up to this scaffolding and we're about to get out and Ellie just like tips it. And I was like, Riley, why aren't you stabilizing that for Ellie? Come on now. Like, let's think on our feet here. <laughs> and they, they, Sorry, they just imagine you screaming at these kids like, God damn it. Don't you know anything about counterbalancing? God, no, well, no yeah, wonder all these bad things happen to you. <laughs> like, I, look, okay. Be, be a good be a good pal to your gals out there, all right? And and please stabilize rickety scaffolding that your friend is climbing up. It's not that hard. Like Stabilizing so scaffolding so... is queer culture. Yes. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> do, do it for your all, friends. All, like, Riley was just sitting there, like, get up here, Ellie. Like, all she had to do was reach out and just hold on to the scaffolding. Like, because that's all that happens. Ellie jumped on it, and she, like, leapt onto it, so the weight knocked it backwards. And if she just held it solid in some way, it also made me question why it did not do that when Riley jumped on, but, um, you know, video game logic. But <laughs> The sheer um, bitch that's... energy of Ellie just fucking threw it for a loop. That's what it was. <laughs> the scaffolding was homophobic is what I'm saying. Oh, no, the weight <laughs> of politics has sent me flying backwards. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> So then we have one more tussle with some infected and that's where it gets revealed that yes, both of these characters have been bitten um, Riley on her hand and Ellie on her arm, you know, the infamous spot that we see throughout the game. Um, And so they have their, their moment where they're just kind of sitting there and they're like, well, um, well, first Ellie breaks a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we have kind of flash forwards and flashbacks. Um, I'm, I'm just going to stay with Ellie and Riley because we kind of know what's happening in the flash forward. You know, we see like Ellie stitching up Joel and, and putting him on a sled, you know, like she's going to kind of head out into the winter beyond. But in the flashback, uh, we get the dialogue that we kind of knew what was coming uh, where Riley is talking about, okay, option one, she has the gun quick, painless, all done. She doesn't like option one, option two, we fight for every second we get to spend with each other, whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give that up. I don't want to give that up. My vote, let's just wait it out. We can be all poetic and lose our minds together. There is no option three. Um, so, and that and that's where it ends. It just like dumps it there. And I was kind of surprised 
and I guess this is the the thing we can kick off this last discussion with is I was surprised that there wasn't a last cut like showing Riley um, getting infected in some way because I think as we are to understand it, um, they I think they go to Marlene at this point, and that's how they how Ellie gets linked up with the Fireflies at this point. So um, I th- I think my understanding is that. Riley would have had to eventually turn, and then Ellie presumably Didn't. handles it, and then yeah. and then Ellie just sits around and nothing happens for like an extended period of time, and then that's when she goes to Marlene. That's when she knows something's up. Um, uh, I okay. I do I gotta say like I do appreciate that they don't show Riley turn and that that's yeah. like that would have that would have been totally a point. I totally thought like, that's how this was going to end. Was we were like the last thing we were going to do in this game was have to kill Riley, and I was I was kind of glad it didn't go yeah, that route. And because I, I I think like yes that that is probably what happened, but I also like I can't think of anything in this series I would like to see less. Like in terms of like yeah. plot yeah. events that we never maybe saw happen. Uh, and I, so, like, I just, I, I do appreciate that they just didn't make us sit through that. That would have been overkill, I think. And I think that, like, Riley's speech ends it on a very, like, strong, like, thematic through line throughout the whole mm-hmm. series. And um, so, like, I was good with that being the end. And that sort of, like, leaving on that notion and that, that, that every moment that they had to spend together was enough. Like, it was worth fighting for and whatever, like, no matter how long it was. Felt like a good enough sort of... Uh, way to tap it off because i don't i don't think i don't really feel like much would have been gained by making us have to see riley turn and then die mm-hmm. yeah i think um it's it's funny because i i around the time um similar to the ma- main game i know a lot of people that were like oh yeah it was really good but the ending was just just the, the ending was rubbish it just ended i didn't get it and which I find, which I can, I can get, and I, I, I can get it particularly in terms of the language of video games. The Last of Us doesn't really like, like Last of Us One and Left Behind don't have a big, massive set piece or a boss fight or whatever at the mm. end. There is just, it just concludes its story, right? Like it's just, right. it takes those characters where they need to go, and then that's it. It doesn't, it literally doesn't spend another second that it needs to with them. And and I think I like where they end it here in terms of this being... And I think that the whole point is the ending sort of reveals why this story is being told in relation to Joel's and Ellie's, mm, because yes. it's this contrast yeah. of, like, the, you know, the optimism of this very honest, you know, fuck it, we'll, let's just be together and then mm. we'll go out and that's great, versus like i guess joel's like overbearing like protective thing where to the degree that he lied to her about it and like you know this is i Mm -hmm. i will do whatever it takes to keep you in my life and protect you etc um whereas like rylan ellie's thing is sort of a contrast with that where it's it's much more honest and Mm -hmm. I, I would say healthy, like, you yeah. know, like this is, you know, they've made, they've made peace with their circumstance and they're going in for it. And like, and again, like I labor the end it because yeah, we don't, I, I've, yeah, I, yeah, God, like seeing like a, a scene where you see what happens to Riley or stuff. I was like, nah, like that, don't want to see that. Don't need to see right. that. And yeah. I think it, it would be a disservice to her character big time. Um, yeah. I um I think ultimately with this like the big themes that had going forward were like it this is obviously reinforcing a lot of 
what Ellie says at the end of Last of Us Part One, which is right. like, I I'm a survivor. I keep surviving. Everyone keeps dying, and I keep going. But um, whereas we see with Riley, like, okay, Riley um, obviously does eventually die. We know that for sure. Um, but here with Joel in the present time, Ellie has a chance for survival to fight for something and be able to keep Joel alive. Mm -hmm. and, and so that maybe like informs a little bit of why Ellie is fighting as hard as she is rather than resigning herself to anything. And like, um, and, and like, she's got a little bit of Joel in her at that point where it's like, she could have easily just given up or like not gone through the situation that led to her, like murdering a bunch of dudes and stuff <laughs> like you do a lot of murder as Ellie in this in this particular situation, and she's like, "No, I'm not going to just sit by and watch Joel die. I'm not going to let someone slowly die in front of me again when I have a chance to save them. So I'm right. going to do this." Um, it's you can really see how it's taken on. I keep thinking of the shot of Ellie as she's like about to, she's got Joel tied up on the sled, and she's on Callus, and they're about to ride out into the winter, and you kind of know what's coming after that and how hard it gets after mm. that but it mm. it really like that that's the moment i think where you can almost picture these flashbacks happening in her mind right. and like how much she's had to steal herself in such a short time um and there's a lot of survivor's guilt she's dealing with a lot mm. and um it's i mean that's that's really what i think this adds a lot of it is just like we get to really see what Ellie has been coping with through all right. of this. You know, we got some of that in the main game, but having an entire DLC here dedicated to it, it definitely like Kenny, you know, it's not like a Citadel or a Leviathan where it's really like building out the lore in a meaningful way where it's like, Oh, here's this aspect of the game. We never got to explore in the first one. This is, this is more last of us. This is just like exposition that adds on to it, but it still does feel like extremely good. And it's also mm. like, I think a better way to end off last of us and bridge the gap into part yeah. two by like giving us that sense of Ellie as the main character and Ellie as, mm -hmm. you know, someone who we're going to be playing a lot more as, and Joel is somewhere we're going to not be playing as anymore. Right. <laughs> um, it's I, I think it's a good way to bridge that gap. Yeah. Oh, the last of us left behind any, any closing thoughts, anything we didn't get to here um, um, before we, I think the, I think the only thing that I wanted, sudden, but yeah, I think the only thing that I would, I would want to touch on as the, um, as just as the, as much as the, the contrast between Riley and, and stuff, I like, I think, like, Ellie and Joel, it's sort of interesting the way that they both, like, they both have the survivor survivor's thing. Mm -hmm. But, like, for Ellie, it is a reluctant, I keep surviving, but I don't really want to. Where with Joel, right. it is, like, I'm just going to keep surviving and not deal with any of the terrible things that are happening around me, or I am doing. Um, and they sort of feel they're sort of adjacent but it's interesting that divergence where ellie fully internalizes everything that happens ellie takes that shit on and feels the weight of it and i think this dlc really adds to her story of the main because obviously she's not she's only playable for a short section in the, in the base game but i think this really adds a lot of weight to 
her interactions with Joel in the base game, and mm. I think it's a real contrast with Joel, who hasn't internalized anything. Like, Joel just shuts down and closes right. off, like, after Sarah, like, he doesn't deal with any of that, and he's just, he's, he just closes down, shuts down. And there's similarities, um, and they're the way that they process trauma, but there's this big divergence about... Uh, yeah, just the, the the fact that Ellie has internalized in this yeah this immense survivor's guilt that only grows and gets worse the the further things go on, and versus Joel who just has none of it. But it's interesting the fact that in a certain sense it plays out in the same way because Ellie will do whatever it takes for Joel and Joel will do whatever it takes for her. But they're sort of doing it for slightly different reasons. And I think that's the sort of fleshing out and, and way that this adds to the base game that I that in a way I think makes it essential. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, we do have much more to talk about once we get to the last of us part two, but that is the end of the first last of us. I can't believe we're here already seems like we just got here and we're already on the last of us part two halfway there right um as always we are normandy fm and we're not just a last of us retrospective we are a general retrospective podcast that did start out doing mass effect stuff and by golly those chickens have come home to roost (laughs) because we have some round tables coming up so as a reminder for those listening at home we do have three round tables scheduled about the legendary edition Uh, they will be rolling out on specific dates uh the first one will be mass effect one on may 24th however we are recording mass effect one's panel uh this coming week and it is wholly possible that by the time you are listening to this on the free feed uh the spotify the regular spotify feed there may already be a round table up on the patreon feed for you to listen to uh i don't want to put that pressure on ken though so no no requirement of that but um ken is also a master at this stuff so it is totally possible <laughs> it could be <laughs> up by then um if you want to listen to the round tables early before may 24th when it goes live for everyone you can do that by backing us at patreon.com slash normandy fm we are allowing all patrons to listen to the roundtables early. Usually you have to back at the $5 tier to get episodes early, but we are opening the roundtable specifically up to all patrons. Uh, You also get access to the Discord at any level you back. Uh, So that is a double whammy that you get. Um, Also, we have patrons who back us at a certain level that gets them shouted out every week on the podcast. This week, that list is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just the Wedge of Destiny, Mila Hyde, Zach James, and Kevin Hux. Thank you all so much for donating and keeping this thing running, keeping our SoundCloud costs down. Uh, next week, we will be doing The Last of Us Part Two. We'll be opening it up with a section called Jackson. Um, I'm very excited for that. Uh, we have, I mean, can we confirm that? Let's make the guest a surprise. I like it when the guest is a surprise. <laughs> We're not going to tease the guest yet. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's been a blast getting through The Last of Us. It was a pleasure to close it out here with you, Sam. Uh, where can the folks at home find your work and follow what you do? Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at Sam M. Greer, um, or you can follow most of my video content at GHG Show. Um, anything I do, you'll find, just find it on Twitter. 
Oh, that, and uh, that's and thanks for having me as well great. again to to yeah, talk. It's about always a this. pleasure. Um, yeah, it was it was good to revisit this. It was a, it was yeah. a lovely time. It's a nice little time, and I'm sure the rest of The Last of Us <laughs> is going to be a pleasant little time. Just a jaunt down fun memory lane. No, no they, sorrow. They get those bicycles. They just yep. go on a nice uh-huh. little trip. <laughs> Nothing bad happens. <laughs> It's going to be great. A happy trip across America is what lies in store for us. But for now, for Sam, for Ken, for myself, for everyone, we will see you next time on Normandy FM. (laughs) 